From member-supported CPR News, this is Purplish, a show about Colorado politics and democracy. I'm Andrew Kenny. And I'm Benta Berkland. Our colleague CPR reporter Sam Brash is with us today. So this used to be Sam's podcast. Mm -hmm. Now he covers climate, but we brought him back this week for the first time, and you're about to see why. But let me ask, who is the most famous person that both of you saw this week? Uh, Other than newly minted Purplish host Andy Kenny, uh, I would have to say Bernie Sanders. Amy Klobuchar. And Donald Trump for me. So what does that mean? It means that a lot of people who want to be president are in Colorado. And we also had Tulsi Gabbard here this week. Joe Biden visited for a private fundraiser. Pete Buttigieg and Elizabeth Warren are both holding weekend events after we taped this on Friday. And I think you can sort of guess why, right? Like a lot has changed between 2016 and 2020 in terms of how Colorado decides presidential nominees. Uh, We have uh, primaries now instead of caucuses. And for the first time, we have unaffiliated voters who can choose whether to vote in either the Republican or Democratic primary. And one reason Colorado decided to switch to a primary election is so more people could participate. And Governor Jared Polis wanted to set that date for March 3rd. So we're one of 14 states that have an election. And the idea is it'll bring more attention to Colorado, make our state more relevant. And candidates will have to pay attention to what Colorado voters think on issues. So the ballots have been sent out. The contest is fully in motion, but a lot of people, Democrats especially, are still holding on to their ballots. So it's a, it's kind of a wide open thing at this point. Colorado is at a very interesting and exciting point in the national contest. More on that later, plus my own impressions from President Trump and Senator Cory Gardner's rally in Colorado Springs. All right, before we get to that, though, let's do our regular segment, Hot Bills. Hot Bills. Hot Bills. Hot Bills. This is where we touch on some of the most access bills on the state's legislative website. One of them is school entry immunization, and so that aims to increase Colorado's vaccination rate. So if people want to opt their child out of vaccines, they would have to either watch an online informational video produced by the state or get a sign-off from an immunization provider. The hearing lasted over 12 hours into the early morning hours the following day. Hundreds of people testified. It cleared the committee on a party line vote. Democrats are in favor, but did express some reservations. So I I think we'll see some amendments as it continues to move through the legislature. That's fascinating. Ben, so tell me if this is wrong, but that sort of sounds like Republican efforts to restrict abortion a little bit, forcing people to watch a video and talk to a medical provider. One person who testified against the bill made that point, and opponents feel like this is Democrats overreaching into personal decisions. Supporters of the bill say we have a public health crisis. Colorado has the lowest immunization rate in the country for measles, mumps, and rubella. For kindergartners, it's well below herd immunity. And they said this is a serious issue, and we're not indoctrinating anyone. We're just providing information. There was also a new hot bill on the list this week with a kind of surprising result. It was called the Employee Protection Lawful Off-Duty Activities Act. If you can't guess. Wow. That, yeah, really sexy so, name. Tell me more. What it would have done, uh, people have actually been asking for this for a long time. It would have said that employers can't fire you for smoking marijuana in your off time. You know, oh. it's saying that things that are protected under state law, you can just do it. You know, that you can't walk in in the morning and get drug tested for something that you did last week and get fired. 
Uh, you might be surprised to hear, though, this is a, a Democratic-sponsored bill, but it still died in committee unanimously at its first hearing. They heard major concerns from the business community about this question of whether they would still be able to test, period, because cannabis tests are notoriously not very specific. You can't easily test someone and say, oh, you're high right now or you were high three days ago. Sam, you got a hot bill for us? Uh, well, okay, it's not specifically on that list of most viewed bills yet, but I think it could be. Uh, I'm really interested in SB 2121. This is a bill that was introduced by Senator Carrie Donovan, who represents Vail. She's a Democrat. And it's an attempt to forge a compromise on this question of whether or not Colorado should reintroduce wolves or not. Um, as you might have heard, this is something that is going to the ballot. And it's been complicated by the fact that recently Colorado Parks and Wildlife announced that a pack of wolves is living in northwest Colorado, likely for the first time since the 1940s, that that a pack has lived here. There's been individual wolves. And this is before we even vote on the ballot measure. This is before we even vote on the ballot measure. So do we reintroduce wolves if they're already here? Um, Senator Donovan is trying to get out ahead of this and forge a legislative compromise that in essence says that if these wolves manage to create a self-sustaining population in Colorado, that we won't reintroduce wolves, basically. It would also set aside some funding to compensate ranchers uh, for any livestock lost to these predators. What, what does it mean to actually reintroduce wolves? What What is that? I mean, it, it's pretty simple. You go to a place with a self-sustaining population of wolves, you capture those wolves, you would bring them to Colorado and, and let them out. Um, this is why there are wolves in Idaho, Wyoming, New Mexico, Arizona. All of those were federal reintroduction efforts. What's changing, though, is that it looks like the federal government is going to delist wolves as an endangered species. That's already happened in the northern Rockies. They'll probably lose all their federal protection soon. So these uh, wolf advocates are saying, let's get ahead of that and create uh, a, a really strong wolf habitat here in Colorado. It's going to be a huge ballot issue, and it looks like the advocates have a lot of leverage here because a recent CSU poll found that it has 84% support across the state. So if Donovan wants a compromise, she's really, really going to have to um, cater to the people pushing this initiative. But there's a real urban-rural divide on this issue, and I think some of the communities who are opposed to this, who would be living closer to these habitats, may have some pull compared to voters along the front range where this isn't on their radar as much. Absolutely. And this is a big question that I've written a lot about recently is, like, should we be deciding something on on the ballot by a popular vote that really is going to mostly affect a very small population of hunters, ranchers, and people in Colorado. Is that something that you put to the people or do you let, uh, you know, commissioners on the Colorado Wildlife Commission and biologists with CPW make that sort of decision because they really understand Colorado's landscape and how it interacts with people who need the land for hunting and ranching? Sounds like you know uh, a little bit about that. I know a little bit about the wolf thing. (laughs) This is what I worry about when I don't have to worry about politics as much. I just get really into animals. All right, so let's get to our first topic, the Democratic competition and the flood of candidates that we have seen coming through the state. I want to hear what you guys saw at each of the rallies you attended. You were on kind of opposite ends of the spectrum Mm -hmm. between one of the more moderate or centrist candidates for Benta. And one of the more uh, progressive or radical candidates for, for you, Sam, what was the scene? What did you see? Describe it. Uh, I saw Bernie Sanders at the Colorado Convention Center last Sunday. 
Uh, I think the most remarkable part about it was just the size of the crowd that came out to see Bernie. It was inside the Colorado Convention Center. They moved it out of the auditorium uh, and into the actual convention halls because so many people wanted to come. And standing on the press riser, looking out at a crowd of 11,000 people standing on a flat surface was pretty remarkable. Like, I've seen, obviously, that many people in an indoor space, like, in a basketball arena. But just to see them standing there, it was... It was kind of amazing and sort of frightening from like a fire marshal's perspective. <laughs> wow, what did it sound like in there? Oh my god, it sounded terrible. I could not do a single radio interview to save my life. It was way too loud. I had to step out into the hallways to talk to people. When you did talk to folks, how many of them were solidly in the Sanders camp? Because when I was at the Klobuchar rally, pretty much everyone I talked to was still undecided. Yeah, there there were a few people, I would say, who were there to kind of suss things out. Uh, most of them said, you know, I'm trying to decide between Sanders and Warren. I wanted to feel what the energy was like. But, you know, this is also Bernie Sanders. There were a ton of people who are hardcore team Bernie. Um, one voter I really one voter that really sticks out in my mind was a young woman from Boulder. And she said, look, this is this is happening. He's the progressive front runner. It's time to get behind this guy. And she said she made a deal with her parents where she said, I will vote for any Democratic nominee if you vote for Bernie in the primary. Um, a lot of the boomers, like our parents' generations, are worried that we won't vote for the candidate if it's not Bernie. So just, I think it's important to vote for the candidate if it's not Bernie and let them, like, calm them down so that they'll vote Bernie for us, yeah. If they refuse, she suggested a backup, which is, she just called emotional blackmail. Like, if you don't vote for Bernie in the primary, I won't love you anymore. That was her, her <laughs> approach. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> yeah, they're they're dedicated to their candidate. Totally different at the Klobuchar rally, as you can imagine, where she's staking out this moderate claim. The attendees I talked to there were really concerned if Sanders does become the presidential nominee. One of the people I spoke to, Michael Herrera from Denver, said he's really concerned about the socialism label and that Sanders, if he became the eventual Democratic nominee for president, just wouldn't be able to get a broad base of support. I think Sanders is going to be easy to beat. People who didn't vote Republican because they didn't like Trump are going to see the term socialist, and that's going to make them say, well, I'd rather have a Trump than a socialist. We had about 1,000 people at the Klobuchar rally in Aurora, so not the numbers, but people liked what they were hearing, and uh, the voters just for the most part, we're still undecided and on the fence about all the different options they have. Are they thinking about Bloomberg after uh, his debate performance? The only person I talked to who had Bloomberg in the top tier was a registered Republican a few weeks ago. <laughs> we we heard a, a lot of concerns from folks about what would the nation get by trading one billionaire for another, uh, issues about how he treated women, the non-disclosure agreements, his support for policing stop and frisk policies. And one woman said she just didn't think he was that prepared in the debate. She wanted him to have better answers, think more on his feet and be up for the challenge. I'm really curious to see, is Colorado going to swing Bernie again? Because Sanders won by something like 18 points against Clinton in the 2016 caucuses here. Is that a sign that uh, Democratic primary voters here are just going to be, you know, pretty far left? Or is there room for a more middle-of-the-road candidate like Klobuchar? I, I think it cuts uh, both ways for Sanders, this new primary process that we have in Colorado. I think 
when you look at his uh, campaigns in 2016 and 2020, he tends to perform really well in caucus states. So he had that going for him in Colorado in 2016. Now it's a primary. He has far more opponents than he did back then and far more popular opponents, too. I mean, I think Hillary Clinton often struggled with favorability uh, and he ha- and he capitalized on that. Where I think Sanders has an advantage in the new process is unaffiliated voters can vote in the Democratic primary. And one thing we know is he has a lot of support from people who are unaffiliated, not because they're middle of the road, but because they're too far left for the Democrats. And and now moving to something completely different, at least politically, President Trump's Keep America Great rally. You almost said Make America Great. The theme is now keep. As President Trump pointed out in his speech, in just three short years, America has gone from needing greatness to being great. That was very much the theme of the speech. I drove down to Colorado Springs the night before in order to kind of try to avoid the traffic and the craziness. And I'm glad I did because when I went to the convention hall at 830 in the morning for this 530 p.m. rally, there were probably two, 3,000 people in line already in the freezing, freezing cold. They were uh, There were vendors already set up selling Trump hats and Trump blankets and Trump everythings and these, these flags that said, you know, no more bullshit or make liberals cry again. And it was Again, almost like a music festival. One thing I'm really curious about is someone who's covering Republican Senator Cory Gardner's race. He was on the stage with Trump. There was a fundraiser afterwards. How did they interact and how did the crowd seem to respond to to Gardner? Glad you asked. I spent a lot of the morning before the rally asking voters what they knew about Cory Gardner. Do you have any impression of him? Do you know um, whether you like him or not? Um, not really, no. Um, I'm going to be looking more into what's going on. I think we need to keep him in there because the alternative is, is worse. He's, he's, he's not the top of the list, but he's not the bottom. He's, he's, he's good. I'm not too, too familiar with him or his policies because, like I said, everything has been about this presidential stuff and mm. this impeachment. At the event itself, Trump and Gardner, who had previously had kind of a fraught-ish relationship, you know, Gardner's criticized Trump in, Trump in the past in 2016, but they are forged together. They are one and the same. And you're going to help us get Cory Gardner across that line because he's been with us 100%. There was no waiver. I've been hearing from Republicans that that's really important going into what's expected to be one of the closest U.S. Senate races in the country because Gardner needs to shore up that GOP base. And people were wary of him because he didn't vote for Trump in 2016. And he's going to need a high Republican turnout if he has any chance of holding on to this seat. Yeah, I, I mean, I think this is fascinating because like the exact thing that Republicans are love to see at that Trump rally, him and Gardner side by side, endorsing each other, praising each other, is exactly the same thing that Democratic operatives especially are so excited they see. They think it's death for Gardner to be this close to Trump uh, in the Senate race. It's one of the situations where politics becomes extremely two-dimensional, where it's just both sides shouting the same thing. So weird. Uh, I tell you what, though, Trump's support, at least among these fervent Trump supporters, did something for Gardner. When I talked to people afterward, you know, if they had been unfamiliar with Gardner to begin with, didn't know who he was, now they're saying, well, that's enough for me. He's Trump's guy. And Trump reiterated that from what I saw, saying he's been with us 100 percent. Are their fortunes totally tied together, though? You know, if Trump loses, can Gardner still win this state? 
I've talked to Republicans who say they probably aren't going to vote for Trump, but they really like Gardner. So we'll have to see how those split tickets go. If you remember, last time Gardner was elected, he won. He's a Republican. Governor John Hickenlooper won. He's a Democrat. We are a state where voters split tickets. I, I think that might have been true in, in 2014, but it, the Trump era is different. You know, this is sort of just almost a cliche at this point, but all politics are national. And I do wonder if the reason we've seen, you know, Gardner get in line with Trump is he understands that their fates are tied together, that his, you know, boat sinks with Trump. Or rises. And just to mix metaphors, Trump insisted that he was going to win Colorado in a landslide and that Gardner was, too. And there are still quite a few Democrats vying to challenge Gardner in the Senate race. Yeah. So on on the Democratic side, you have former Governor John Hickenlooper. And it's boiling down to him and uh, Andrew Romanoff. He's a former Speaker of the State House, a former congressional candidate. And he's really trying to sell himself as this progressive alternative to Hickenlooper. I guess my theory of that race is, again, all politics are national now. And I don't see Romanoff being able to beat Hickenlooper and his name recognition without an endorsement uh, from Senator Bernie Sanders. And that's something that Sanders told our colleague Ryan Warner that he's not interested in doing. Uh, what I will do is do everything that I can to make sure that the Democratic candidate defeats Senator Gardner in the fall. But I think it is best for the people of Colorado to make their choice in the Democratic primary. Well, Cory Gardner would love for Bernie Sanders to get involved. He and his speech seem to be running more against Sanders than anybody else. He said Bernie Sanders is threatening to turn America into this radical socialist place and that all 10 of the Democrats who want to replace Gardner, he says, are right in that camp. Let us conclude this Bananas Week with a a little segment that we like to call Wait? What? I, I generally don't know what this is. Like, <laughs> I got to wait what the wait what. What is it? Well, what wait what is, is a segment where what we do is we talk about a moment that either surprised us, stood out to us, or otherwise activated our brains, and we share it with our listeners and give it a little bit of context to it. By the way, how bad were the Academy Awards this year? Did you say? I was sitting there for this Trump rally that spanned the gamut. You know, he had the crowd on its feet with lines about fake news and with lines about immigration. He was talking about his polling numbers. But somewhere he found quite a couple minutes probably to get into his criticism of the Oscars. And the winner is a movie from South Korea. What the hell was that all about? We got enough problems with South Korea with trade. On top of it, they give him the best movie of the year. Was it good? I don't know. You know, I'm looking for like, where, where, let's get Gone with the Wind. Can we get like Gone with the Wind back, please? Sunset Boulevard. So many great movies. Let me ask you this. Was anyone actually surprised by that? Oh, absolutely not. I mean, so much of Trump's appeal has to do with this basic idea that we were once a great country and then globalization happened and now we're less great, right? I think a Korean movie winning Best Picture totally fits into that narrative. And how could you think of any, uh, frankly, wider, more American movie than Gone with the Wind? And also it it taps into this idea of elites telling the rest of the country what to do, that that you have a lot of Oscar speeches that are frequently, you know, it's it's a liberal part of the country. So not pro-Trump, not pro-Republican. And 
people uh, of those political leanings and others get tired of feeling like they're being preached to by millionaires who fly around on private jets. Yeah. And I, and I think a lot of Trump's appeal, you know, is about cultural representation. Obviously, his party is very well politically represented. Um, but there is a feeling that I think is often right that they're not very well culturally represented, that they don't see themselves in movies and TV and a Korean movie winning the Oscars. There you go. There's another, you know, set of liberal elites bringing in something that you can't relate to and putting it right in front of their face and making them watch it. That's it for this week's episode. Purplish is a production of member-supported Colorado Public Radio. Learn about becoming a member and join us today at CPR.org. I'm Andrew Kenny with my colleagues Benta Berkland and Sam Brash. Purplish is edited by Megan Verlee. This episode was produced by Shane Rumsby. CPR's head of audio innovations is Brad Turner, who also composed our theme music. Our executive producer is Rachel Estbrook. If you're enjoying Purplish, please help others find us. Leave us a rating and a review and give us a shout out on social media. And if you know someone who needs Purplish in their life, send them a link. We'll be back in your podcast feeds next week. Until then, this is Purplish from CPR News.